0: Let's go again to the fourth chapter. And Moses is now confronted with something that confronts all of us. There are those times when we hear from God. There are those times we know what God tells us to do. And then we come to the point where God says, it's time. Time to get moving and time to go. But yet, in order to do that, there are certain components that have to be in place. You know, I could take you to any number of salvage yards in the Oklahoma City area And I might go up to the salvage yard owner and say, how many vehicles do you have in here? And let's say he tells us that I've got 200 of them. Do you have keys for all of those? There's a good chance he has keys to every one of them. But is the key alone enough to start the car? Now, for some of us, that all we think is necessary, just have a key, get in the car. But there's so much that has to be there and so much that has to work and work together. And so it's true in our lives, and it was also true in Moses' life. It's time to go, but there's more than just having the ignition key in the hand. God is working in Moses' life even now. I mean, after meeting him in the wilderness, the burning bush and all of those things that happened with the rod and the serpent, wouldn't you think that maybe Moses would be kind of ready and prepared? Well, he was being prepared because what God does after our salvation is he is working in our lives in a process. Salvation is just an event. You trust Jesus and what He did on the cross as your full payment of, of of your sin, and believe that He was raised from the dead, and confess Him as Lord, and instantly you are saved, you are justified. But now the process of sanctification, God making you like Him and God using you, that is a process, and it's a long process. Sometimes Moses had been in the desert for forty years. Now the question is, is he ready? Well, he is, and yet he's not. There are still some things that he has to learn. And so God is taking him through this process and putting all of the components together to get things going to do what he has planned and purposed to do. Just like in your car, you want to have the key, of course, but you better have fuel in the tank and air in the tires and everything else had better be working or you're not going to get anywhere. And so Moses now is still learning and still growing, and God is still being patient with him and doing a great work in his life. So, if you'll go down to the 19th verse of this fourth chapter, we'll read and we'll read this story and uh, think about what God is still doing in Moses' life. And there is great application, of course, to us. The Bible says Now the Lord said to Moses, notice these two words, In Midian, in Midian. Now go and return to Egypt, for all the men who sought your life are dead. It's pretty important, isn't it? Then Moses took his wife and his sons and set them on a donkey, and he returned to the land of Egypt. Now let me stop right there, because Moses is kind of in the habit of stating what happens and then telling you how it happened. For example, in Genesis chapter 1, it says that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and then he tells us how he did it. Well, that's what he's doing here. Um, He tells us Moses' return, and here's the process. Here's what happened along the way. So we pick back up. And Moses took the rod of God in his hand. And the Lord said to Moses, when you go back to Egypt... See that you do all these wonders before Pharaoh, which I have put in your hand. But I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my son, my firstborn. So I say to you, let my son go, that he may serve me. But if you refuse to let him go, indeed... I will kill your son, your firstborn. You mess with mine, you're going to pay for it, in other words. Verse 24. And it came to pass on the way at the encampment... Some versions say at the end. You might think of a KOA campground. That the Lord met him, Moses... This is strange. And sought to kill him. Then Zipporah... it's Moses' wife took a sharp stone and cut off the foreskin of her son and cast it at Moses' feet and said, Surely you are a husband of blood to me. And in verse 26, notice it's a capital H here on the word he. So he, meaning the Lord, let him, Moses, go. Then she said, You are a husband of blood because of the circumcision. Verse 27. And the Lord said to Aaron... "'Go into the wilderness to meet Moses.' So he went and met him, not in Midian, but at the mountain of God, and uh, kissed him. And Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord uh, who had sent him and all the signs with which he had commanded him. Then Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the children of Israel, And Aaron spoke the words which the Lord had spoken to Moses. Then he, Moses, did the signs in the sight of the people. So the people believed, and when they heard that the Lord had visited the children of Israel, and that he had looked on their affliction, then they bowed their heads and worshipped. So this story tells us about Moses and how he got to Egypt. He's finally willing. He's finally ready. And yet, at the same time, he's not ready. Have you ever felt like that? God calls you to do something. God opens a door. God kind of gives you a shove and moves you in the right direction. And you're ready. God has prepared you up to that point. God has made his calling clear. And yet, with every step that you take you find out that you're still not completely ready you're still learning and you're still growing I think a lot of people make the mistake of thinking if God is in something I'm going to be perfectly ready perfectly equipped everything's going to fall into place and it doesn't always happen that way sometimes you learn as you go And you learn even as you are being taught and being led in these situations. Well, that's Moses. Moses has been this person that back when he was 40, he wanted to liberate the Hebrews, and he thought, now's as good a time as any. Why put off tomorrow, what you can do today? And so he does. And what happens? He fails miserably. He has to run for his life. Now it's 40 years later, and he's not quite as confident As he once was. A little bit of a reluctant leader. And yet God has made it clear at the burning bush. And with the throwing down of the rod. And it becoming a serpent. And all of those things. That God is with him. And he's ready to go. He's got the blessing of his father-in-law. He's turned the sheep back over to Jethro. And now he's loaded up his family. And they are ready to head out. But there's still some things that God is telling Moses and still some things that he needs to know. What are they? Well, the first thing that, he would say, that we would say about this is God was teaching Moses to trust his timing. You know, there are times when we see the hand of God and we understand what God is doing and he has thrust something upon us but we really have a hard time figuring out what is his timing why didn't he do this earlier why doesn't he wait till later but God is always on time and his timing is always perfect whatever it may be we don't have his mind we don't have all of the thoughts of God so we have to trust him and God said something in this when he said go to Egypt for all of those who wanted to kill you are dead this is a good time to go This is a time when Moses can go into Egypt, and nobody's really going to know who he is. Moses is long forgotten, and he doesn't look like an Egyptian anymore. When he first came to Midian, remember the women at the well there told their father, an Egyptian rescued us. Well, Moses doesn't look like that anymore. He looks like a shepherd. He's old. And as he comes into Egypt, no one is suspecting anything and no suspicions or aroused, nothing like that at all. The people that sought to kill you are dead. That phase of life is over. This is a new chapter, a new beginning, and the timing of God is absolutely perfect on all of this. Moses had been waiting for 40 years And uh, then, as he gets ready to go, God speaks to him again and starts reiterating some of these things. You ever get tired of being told something more than once? Well, sometimes it's helpful. Sometimes we actually ask people, now, what was that I was supposed to do? What was that I was supposed to get? How was I supposed to do this? But, frankly, it's annoying when somebody tells you how to do something and gives you the same instruction Over and over and over. But folks, let's remember that in the timing of Moses going to Egypt, that's not the only thing where God's timing is perfect. God is also perfect in reiterating the command. Knowing what Moses needs to hear. Knowing that Moses needs to hear it again. Knowing the things that need to be emphasized. Because he knows Moses perfectly just as he knows you and just as he knows me. There are those times where you and I cry out to God. I've got this. I understand now. But understand that God would not repeat himself. He would not put you through this again If there were not something deep inside of you that needed to be reminded on all of that. Because God's timing can always be trusted. Our patience, our impatience, our impetuousness, our impulsiveness. None of those things can be trusted, but God always can. Moses has to learn that. God is still teaching him. Secondly, notice that Moses has to learn to stand in confidence. You see, this, this same man that said, I'm slow of speech, this same man that said at the burning bush, get that and understand that, at the burning bush in the presence of God, he basically says, remember, send someone else, anybody but me. The same person in the presence of God that was reluctant to obey God is still the same guy isn't he that's Moses nature that's the way Moses kind of defaults we all have a default sin don't we and so god is telling him now when you go to egypt you're going to stand in front of pharaoh and you need to tell him that i uh, am commanding pharaoh to let the people of israel go and that basically what it says And then God says, just so you know and just so you understand, Pharaoh's not going to do it. In fact, I'm going to harden his heart because I've got a process that I am going to work in the life of Pharaoh, in the life of the Egyptians, but don't miss this, in the life of the slaves, the Hebrews. He wants the Hebrews, when they leave Egypt, to be absolutely convinced that the God of the slaves is more powerful than the God of the Egyptians, and more powerful than Pharaoh himself. So there's a process that he has to go to. And it seems to me that in this section of Scripture, that God is telling Moses, when you stand before him, don't be intimidated. Don't back down. Don't be afraid. I am doing this, and I'm telling you, so that when Pharaoh When you see the evidence of his hardened heart, you're going to know one thing. I did it because Solomon would tell us in the book of Proverbs, the heart of the king, even Pharaoh, is in the hand of the Lord. And like the rivers of water, he turns it wherever he wishes. So this heart that Pharaoh has, that he thinks he's in control of, and all of the decisions that he is making, there are some limits to those decisions And the heart is being held in the hand of God. And God says to Moses, when Pharaoh turns you down, when Pharaoh is belligerent, when Pharaoh is obstinate, when Pharaoh is arrogant toward you, don't worry about it. Stand in confidence. This is my work. I've got a plan and I'm putting all of this together. Now it's interesting that God says, when he does this, tell Pharaoh, you are messing with Yahweh's firstborn. And if you don't quit it, Yahweh will mess with your firstborn. Remember, that was that final plague, that night of Passover, when the death angel came, and wherever he saw the blood of that lamb, he passed over. But where he didn't see the blood of the lamb, the Egyptians, well, then the firstborn was struck dead that night. What is the significance of the firstborn? Well, in Egyptian thought, the firstborn was special and was sacred. Being the firstborn, I'm not opposed to that. And Pharaoh thought that he was the firstborn, in fact, the onlyborn of the gods. Pharaoh was looking at himself as being a descendant of the gods, and his firstborn was also a descendant of the gods because he had inherited Pharaoh's nature. So you can see that when God says to him, Israel is my firstborn. In other words, don't mess don't mess with my kids. And he is not just saying, I have one person that is my firstborn. This whole nation is being treated as my firstborn. And you mistreat my firstborn, and I will mess with your firstborn. Now, that's the kind of stuff that we look at And we're so familiar with the story and everything, we don't think much about it. Put yourself in Moses' sandals. You're 80 years old. You've been keeping sheep for all of these years. You're back now in Egypt, the place where you were raised and educated after 40 years. You're standing before the most powerful man on the face of the earth, and you were telling him that your God is going to kill his firstborn if he does not let Yahweh's firstborn, Israel, go. I think I would be a little intimidated to give that message. I think Moses was probably a little intimidated to give that message. But God is telling him, I'm not asking you to stand in your strength, your power, your authority, your ability to deliver a speech, your uh, uh, power to intimidate someone else. In fact, God chose an unintimidating person who is not eloquent. And what does he do? He uses him to stand before Pharaoh because God is not putting Moses on display. God is putting himself on display. You and I need to know that we can stand in confidence because the timing of God and the work of God is under the control of God. It's not up to us. It is his strength, it is not ours. Now the third thing that happens here is something that, uh, I'll admit, very weird, very graphic, uh, very strange. The Bible says that as they were on their way, they came to a place where they could park their caravan, uh, so to speak. Where they could park the donkey, where they could sleep, where they could rest. It was a place of refuge, a place of an encampment or some type of an inn. And don't think of inns like a motel or anything like we have. And uh, Moses is there. And then the Bible says something very, very strange. Moses met with God. Okay, we've seen that before. But when we see God meeting with Moses before, there's mercy and there's grace and there's a, a calling and an embracing of Moses and all of that. This time it says... The Lord sought to kill him. Now I want to remind you that if God were to exercise his divine right outside of the blood of Jesus Christ, understand, outside of the blood of Jesus Christ, he would have the right to take our life because we are sinners. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. And it doesn't say the wages of big sin is death. It just says the wages of sin. And we're all sinners and we're all deserving of death. In this picture, in this, in this uh, pre-incarnate, pre-redemption, all of that type of thing that we see in the New Testament, God meets Moses, and this is going to be, you're going to have to understand this, at the point of sin. And what is God's response to sin in every situation? The soul that sins must die, the Bible says. Well, why doesn't God do that with us? Because God is merciful and God is loving and because the innocent blood of Christ has been shed as the payment for our sin. So we're shielded from the wrath and judgment of God. In this point, Moses saw it. Now the Bible doesn't tell us how he saw it. Maybe the Lord sent an angel like he did with Balaam. Maybe the angel had a sword. And maybe the angel warns Moses, you are about to die. The Lord has sent me. Maybe there's some type of a plague. You remember Moses put his hand inside of his cloak and it came out leprous. Maybe Moses came down with something and realized it was from the Lord. We don't get a lot of the detail in all of this except for this one thing. His wife Zipporah came out and had... The, uh, uh, the bloody flesh of the circumcision of her son and she threw it at Moses' feet now this tells us that number one the circumcision rite had not been performed and secondly that Zipporah particularly did not like this and thirdly that she was kind of hostile and angry about doing it the fourth thing that we find out from this is that this was the issue because when this happened it says that God let Moses go that took care of it so the third point that we will want to see here that has to come in play in our lives is we have to deal with compromise all of us have compromise in our lives because none of us are perfect all of us fail in some way to completely honor, please and obey God Well, this is a point where uh, Moses had not fully been obedient to the Lord. You see, back in Genesis, Abraham was told when he was circumcised and his son was circumcised, this was the mark of the covenant for all of Abraham's descendants. Now, Moses is going to stand before Pharaoh to confront Pharaoh for his sins, and God is saying, hold up just a minute. You can't confront somebody else Until you get your life and your compromise and your sin right. Have you ever had that happen? You go before somebody else and you tell them I don't like the way you've done this. And you confront them about it. And then they come back with something that you've done and it neutralizes everything. Well, Moses has to have a right standing before God to say that I have obeyed God in everything before he can ever stand before Pharaoh with a clear conscience, with power, and with authority, saying, I too have obeyed God. And as I stand before you, I am bringing the word of the God that I obey to confront your life. Moses has to deal with this. Now, as you read this story, you find something that is a little bit uh, interesting. Moses has two sons, and yet there's only one that the Bible says here was circumcised. How do we reconcile that? Was it okay to just do it on one and not on the other? I don't think that's the issue. I think the reason that Zipporah was so opposed to this and so angry and hostile about this is probably when that first son was born... They did the rite of circumcision. Zipporah said, I'll never go through that again. I'll never allow that to be done to one of my children again. And for whatever reason, Moses went along with her. Moses went along with what his wife said. Moses did sort of what Adam did. He went along with his wife. So what happens? God confronts and God somehow, we're not given the detail, tells them what the issue is, why he is angry and what needs to be done to set it straight and Zipporah reluctantly and angrily goes along with it. Why only one son? Because I think the first one had already been circumcised. It was a matter of doing it for the second and when that happened then the Lord let him go. You see, there are things in our lives where we try to play little games with God. Okay, I'll go to Egypt, and I'll quit herding the sheep, and I'll do all of that, but don't make me do something else. And God doesn't make deals like that. God demands from us perfect obedience. God demands from us to trust Him, to follow Him, and to obey Him in everything. Now, here's the good thing. I don't know all of the areas in my life where I'm compromised. I can look at myself and think that I am perfectly right with God, pleasing to God, obedient to God, and I don't even know my own heart and neither do you. And this is why this good, loving, and gracious God sometimes confronts us in a manner that might scare us to death. He doesn't always speak in a still, small voice. That was a one-time thing with Elijah, right? Sometimes God thunders. Sometimes God confronts. Sometimes God is stern. And sometimes when God speaks, it strikes fear into our hearts. Apparently in this section of Scripture, that when God came and confronted Moses about this to kill him, it not only got Moses' attention, it got his wife's attention. She loved her husband. And she knew what the issue was, and so she took care of it. Doesn't mean she was happy about it, but she was obedient. And we need to learn that regardless of what our feelings are, regardless of what our emotions might say, we just simply need to obey God. And trust me, if you are saved, God will deal with you at the point of your compromise when it's time. Notice that God did not deal with Moses about this at the burning bush. Was, wasn't time. God did deal with him about it when he's on his way to Egypt. And you can trust the discipline, the loving discipline of your heavenly father that you find in Hebrews chapter 12, that he'll take care of things at the right time and in the right situation because he sanctifies us and he purifies us by the grace of God. And that leads us then To this fourth thing that we need to see. Moses had to learn to share the ministry. Why do I say that? Well immediately we find that the Lord has spoken to Aaron. And told Aaron to go meet Moses in the wilderness. And you'll notice that they didn't meet up at Midian. When we first started reading this where was Moses? Well he was no longer at the burning bush. That was at Horeb or Sinai. He's back Midian. he went back to take the sheep back to his father-in-law to ask for his blessing remember all of that and so God says now head to Egypt and while Moses is leaving Midian heading for Egypt remember at the burning bush God told Moses that Aaron is already on his way and now God speaks to Aaron again and he says go and go into the wilderness to meet Moses and where do they happen to meet the Bible says they meet where the burning bush was. Maybe not the exact space, but they meet there in the same vicinity. There on Mount Sinai, there at, uh, at Horeb. And when they meet, notice how Aaron is not reluctant a bit. He's excited about all of this. He kisses Moses, a customary greeting in the Middle East, and he's excited. And Moses tells him everything that God has said. And note the difference. Moses, reluctant, 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 all the way through. But did you notice when we read this and Moses explains everything to Aaron? Aaron is the one who shows no reluctance whatsoever. You're going to speak what the Lord has given to me. I'm going to give it to you, and you're going to speak that before Pharaoh. And notice that Aaron seems to be enthusiastic about all of this now Aaron's not perfect don't get me wrong we're going to find out later on that he committed a pretty grave sin but it wasn't one of lack of faith or reluctance not at this point point. and so here it is the leader the guy that is going to be one of the heroes of the Bible doesn't want to go and then this other character that seems relatively minor in the story at this point is the one who's enthusiastic about going It's interesting that when Moses tried 40 years earlier to liberate the Hebrews, he took it all upon himself. I get the idea that Moses is a person who didn't really like to ask for help, that Moses took everything, he shouldered the load, and in a lot of the situations of life and in the times of his life previously, he had been competent enough to do that. God had to get that out of him and teach Moses not to depend upon yourself, but to depend upon me. And how is one of the ways that Moses depends upon God? By sharing the ministry, by sharing this uh, assignment with someone else. Now he's going to work with Moses, or with Aaron. Moses is going to need this. We find later on in the book of Exodus that Jethro... Moses' father-in-law comes and he sees that Moses is once again taking all of the load upon himself as he is counseling and judging the people from morning until night. And that's when Jethro gives him some advice. Divide the people up and then take men and set them over those divisions of people and let them deal with these kind of things and let them bring the big things to you. Because if you don't, you're going to wear yourself out. You see what I'm saying here? Moses not only had this reluctance built into him, but he also had uh, uh, this uh, tendency to take everything upon himself and carry loads he was never designed to carry. You and I need to learn this too. So many times we think that when we get involved in a task, whenever we are doing something, God is calling me to do this. And this means that no one else can be involved. And we grow weary and we break down under all of that. We need someone to help us. First of all, we need to lean upon the Lord and His strength. That's why the Bible says, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Not your own. That's why the Bible tells us we are to depend upon Him. That's why it tells us we are to go to Him and we are to be filled by Him and His strength and we are to follow Him and we are to trust Him. All of those things tell us we can't do it on our own. It has to be God doing it through us. But that's also why He puts us in a body. And this is why I want to warn you. Don't get into the habit of sitting home in your pajamas in a recliner and watching a church at your convenience gather you need to be here you've got a job to perform you've got a spiritual gift to manifest you've got things that you need to do and we need one another as we go through this and this is why we don't want to let this time of quarantine let us get lazy but we've got to take the things that we've learned through all of this and we've got to put them into action after it's done we don't want to be lazy and we want to share the ministry we want more involved not less and Moses has to learn this lesson. Moses, yes, you're the leader. And yes, you are the one that I've commanded. But please don't think, Moses, that I'm putting it all on you. I'll be your strength. The rod that you carry is no longer the rod of Moses. It's the rod of God. And also, where you are weak, I am supplying someone to help you. And Moses now has his brother Aaron going with him to go to confront Uh, pharaoh and notice how it's kind of a second timothy 2 verse 2 thing about how the lord works moses is to hear from god and then share what god has said with aaron and aaron is the one who is to take it before the people uh before pharaoh So as you think about that and think about how God works, think about this. God may call a pastor to study and to pray and to get a word from God and share that with the congregation. Does it end there? Are we just a bunch of spiritual sponges who just soak up things? Or are we to be a funnel and a conduit? Could it be that God is designed for one man to preach the word of God to... Hundreds of people who take that word out everywhere they go. They take it home to their family and pastor their families. Shout out to John Ross in there. Do they take it to their work? Yeah. Do they take it to their neighborhood? And everywhere we go. And some may even be called to take it to foreign lands. This is the way that God works, and we work together, and we share in all of this. This is why we ask you to give, and we thank you for your giving during this time, but continue to do that. This is not the time to slack up. Why? Because there are things that we can do together that no one person could ever do. There are things that we can do when we collectively give, when we collectively pray, when we collectively witness, when we collectively study, when we can collectively seek the mind of God that we could never, ever, ever do alone. There's a synergy there that comes through the work of the Holy Spirit and through the Word of God. And it's exciting to think about the fact that all of us are in the plan of God, all of us are in the work of God, and all of us get to be included in the rewards that god gives so we've got to learn to share the ministry to learn to work together because aaron's already on the way they meet at the mountain of god and the mountain is the place of meeting and also the place of revelation and they learn aaron learns the things of god and the conclusion just simply tells us this in the text They meet with the elders of Israel, they hear what Moses has to say through Aaron, and then they watch Moses perform the signs, and it says, so the people believed. And what was the result of their believing? It says, and they worshiped. And that really is the way it is today. See, we proclaim that Jesus Christ is the only way to God the Father. His sacrifice is the only acceptable sacrifice for our sins because all of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death, the Bible says. And that's more than just physical death. That ushers us in to what the Bible calls the second death, and that's an eternity in the lake of fire that was prepared for the devil and his angels. But the Bible tells us that God in His wonderful love and grace and mercy sent His Son. And the Bible says that God demonstrated His love toward us in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Not after we cleaned up, but facing our sin and taking our sin and bearing our sin upon the cross. And the Bible says that if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And as we think about what happens here whenever God saves us, whenever we trust in what Jesus did completely, we know that we are sinners, we know that we deserve death, and we know that there's nothing we can do to save ourselves. And we see the Savior who died on the cross for our sins and was raised for us. And we put our trust in that completely. We are changed. We surrender to Him as our Master and Lord. And then what happens? Well, just like here, we believe and then we worship. Believers and only believers can worship. Lost people can sit in a worship service. They can endure a sermon. They can sing the songs, but they can't worship. Worship only comes after people believe. And God has done a transformational work in the lives of these slaves because Moses and Aaron were obedient to God and all of the conditions came together because the first thing that happens is not convincing Pharaoh. It's convincing Israel that these men truly are of God, that they've heard from God and that God's power is upon them. And then they believe and now they become worshipers. I know that there are a lot of things you want in your life and a lot of things that you want God to do. And I want to tell you, those things can be done and God just may do them because He's certainly capable. But here's the key. Do you want to really enjoy those things and be blessed by them? Then number one, you've got to believe and if you've never been saved I pray that right now you will cry out to God and put your trust in him and ask him to save you and we'd love to help you with that you can go to our website gracewayokc.org and you can find out our contact information we'll be glad to help you in any way we can there's a good chance you already know someone who is a Christian they can help you and tell you some things that have helped them you might want to start reading your Bible and the Gospel of John and get to know the lord that saved you oh please trust christ as savior and lord and then be a worshiper you need a local church you need a place where they're going to preach the word of god you need a place where you can be helped and loved and when you stumble and fall and mess up there are people there that will pray for you and they will help you along the way this is not a gathering of perfect people in fact it's not even a gathering at all right now is it We are a gathering of sinners who are coming together to worship our God. And why do we worship Him? Because we have believed Him. And why do we believe Him? Because we have heard from Him through His Word. And that's what our prayer is for you. And for those of us who are saved... That is something that we go through time and time and time again. God puts us in situations where he said, You trusted me with your soul. Can you trust me with your job? You trusted me with your eternal destiny. Can you trust me with the outbreak of a virus? You trusted me with your eternal destiny. Can you trust me with your aloneness, that I have a purpose in isolating you for a short time? Can you trust me with your family? Can you trust me with your kids? Can you trust me with your future? And that's really what it's all about. It all boils down to faith. And Moses is walking by faith, learning to walk even in greater faith so that God will be glorified. And now Moses has seen the fruit. The people have heard, the people believe, and now the people worship. And when the people of God start worshiping God, then you're going to see great things happen. Happen. I pray that today you are a believer and that you are a worshiper, and that our worship will only grow in its intensity and in its scope. That others may see the worship that we have for God coming not just from our actions, but from our heart, from our attitude, from the way we think, from the way that we are motivated, so that they are curious about the hope that we have, especially. In dark times, because your light shines brightest when the times and the days are dark. May the light of God shine through you during these dark times, that more people may see Jesus in you and come to know him as never before. Thank you for being a part of this today. I pray that the Lord has spoken to you, and my prayer is that it will bear fruit, much fruit that will remain to the glory of God the Father. Let's just close in a word of prayer. Our Father, as we think about all of this, we have so many challenges. We want to pray, Lord, for our nation. We want to pray for our president. We want to pray for Congress, we want to pray for different bureaucrats, we want to pray for governors, we want to pray for state legislatures, we want to pray for mayors and city councils, and we want to pray, Lord, as we tend to think that our life is in their hand, help us to remember their heart is in your hand, Solomon said in the book of Proverbs. And Lord, according to your power and according to your timetable, let us go through this and go through this, not kicking and screaming, but in submission to our loving God. And may we be used as lights in a dark world right now. Please give these people we mention wisdom. Give them even more than that, salvation. But let us, as your children, walk in hope and rejoice in hope. May we see you do great and mighty things things that are beyond what we could ask or think. And may we see you as the God who loves us, the God who is merciful toward us, the God who has redeemed us, the God who equips us, and the God who is faithful to us in spite of our unfaithfulness. We love you, Lord. We surrender to you, and we turn our hearts to you and to you alone. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you.